Welcome to episode 73 of the Process Podcast, Perfect Moments. Welcome to episode 73 of the Process Podcast. I am Amante Martin. Uh, today we have Maurice Allen joining us on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Maurice. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me on, brother. Hey, thank you for joining us. Could you tell the listeners where you're from? Oh, man, I'm from Pine Hills, Florida, man. Pine Hills, Florida. Uh, what was it like growing up there for you? Oh, man, it's like anything else, man. You, you know, you... uh. I don't know. People say it could be a bad area, but I think it's one of the things where if you put yourself in harm's way, then harm happens to you. Uh, if you don't, you mind your business and just do your thing, then it's a great place to grow up, personally. Growing up there, you know, as an adolescent, did you play any sports? What was what was it like growing up there in terms of... Oh, yeah, man. All kinds of sports, man. Played, you know, football, ran track, played baseball, soccer, volleyball. You know, uh, a lot of sports, man. It's just kind of one of the things that you do around the area. You know, everybody's playing sports. You got your different friends, you know, that you meet or that you're around during different parts of the year. Um, but tons of sports, man. Sports all year round. That's all I did. Uh, did you play high school sports? And why did you end up choosing FAMU? Honestly, I, I didn't choose FAMU, honestly. <laughs> um, you know, high school, I was a five-sport athlete had these dreams and aspirations of playing collegiate volleyball and went on a trip saw what an actual outside hitter looks like and I'm only 5'8 outside hitters like 6'7 <laughs> I was like yeah there ain't nothing I can do with that I don't care how much hops you got you know a person got a foot on you it's, it's lights out so um, you know I had all dreams and aspirations I was gonna go to Hawaii go to the University of Hawaii and do my thing out there and ended up going to University of South Florida on track and field scholarship. Mm -hmm. uh, transferred from there, because I got caught in the same thing most athletes get caught in. You know, coach come and tell you, hey man, you know, I'm gonna bring you in the program. I'm not leaving, I'm staying here, blah, 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 blah. Sign your paperwork, a couple months later, that joke is gone. Yeah. And, um, back then they didn't have it where you could just, you know, easily transfer and all that other stuff. So I stayed two years. 
I stayed a year actually. And then I left, uh, transferred to FAM um, because Mississippi Valley State wanted me. And I went out there and I was like, man, it'd have been a Mississippi. Hell no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Just er, everything about that sounded so wrong, man. I was trying to stay away from FAM. Uh, just because my family's a legacy at FAM and I kind of wanted to create my own little spot and do my own thing but ended up you know FAM was a great opportunity you know they they definitely pulled out the red carpet I think they school started that Monday they hit me up that Thursday and I was like hey man we got a spot we'll get you everything you need I came up Thursday night Friday before noon had classes dorm everything squared away so you know, it was a it was a different experience, and then just to be where my family was and see all that stuff, uh, I just didn't want to be in that shadow uh, on the track and field squad. But it was it was cool. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you. You know, it's difficult just to be a student athlete because I played football in high school. Um, you know, in school, so just to be a two a one sport athlete, I want to know what it was like juggling five sports and being an athlete in high school. What did you learn about yourself? I mean, it was different. Um, I always knew that I had a greater goal that I was trying to do, you know, whether it be going to the Olympics or trying to make it to the MLB. I never really looked at the NFL. That was just, you know, I really played football to try to get the chicks, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, it was like, man, it gave me a little, it gave me a little something. At least I, you know, I'm walking around with a jersey on on Friday. I might have a little more courage to talk to that girl. It may, it may amp me, you know, put me a little higher up on her list, you know, yeah. of where I stood. So, but honestly, man, I don't know, man. I've always been focused. Um, just knew that there was something greater that I was trying to accomplish, and that I had to put the hard work in to get there. Um, I did identify with something you said. It was that. You a legacy at FAMU. You kind of want to blaze your own trail. I went through that same thing. You know, could you talk a little bit about about that once you kind of real went to FAMU and realized that you kind of were creating your own path once you got there? No, I, I actually I never was, man. Um, oh, okay. I never I never was crazy because my family had been so entrenched in that school. You know, mm -hmm. um, you know, President Gore was actually my mother's godfather. So, like it. It, it it was crazy. My grandfather worked up there. My mom used to teach up there. My dad went to school there. My uncle still owns records in the track and field side. My other uncle owns swimming records. I can go down the list of it. So I really, no matter where I turned, you know, there was something always reminding me of somebody in my family who had excelled there. So it, it you know, on the track side, even though I was doing my own thing, you know, Ray Robinson, who was my coach, was my uncle's teammate, you know, so I was hearing that, you know, <laughs> all the time. So, it, you know, I never really had the opportunity to make my own legacy there. I guess it was just more the pressure of upholding the legacy, you know, making sure in the classroom, you know, the my mom taught in the math department right there in Jackson Davis. So it's like they, they knew, you know, they were like, hey, we expect certain things out of you. And, and it was, you know, so it was just different, but it was also cool to know that, you know, with my mom being from Tallahassee and a lot of people don't know, younger people don't know that Foot Hillier actually was the um, the black hospital. Yeah. So, you know, my mom was actually born in Foot Hillier, which was, you know, you thinking about it, you know, when you walk, you walk around that campus and thinking, you know, you're walking in the exact same 
area that your parents walked and all this other stuff. And now, now I got a son who's on campus, you know, he's about to go into his sophomore year. Um, and it's, it's different, you know, just understanding that the greatness that's walked on that campus and the responsibility that you have when you leave that campus, regardless if you're a legacy or not, you're trying to uphold this great, great responsibility and legacy of people who come through that school period, whether you're related to them or not. And it's, it's definitely something it's, it's a real spiritual experience. I guess that's the best way I could describe it. Oh, hey, when I say I identify with it, I identify with it because I went to FAMU twice, actually. I went to FAMU my first time chasing a football scholarship, and I kind of ran away from that that a very thing. I ran away from the legacy because my family is deep, deeply rooted at FAMU also, and I went to Fort Valley State University. But when I came back, I kind of felt that I was standing on the shoulders of, shoulders of giants, and I felt that, you know, no matter what I did, I had to progress that forward. You know, I had to carry the lantern. But I want to ask you, what was your major at FAMU? You know, how did you get acclimated and, and what was your transition into uh, golf? Uh, major at FAM, man, I was a biology and chemistry double major with a minor in math. It was a cool, cool time, man. It was a cool place for me to be. I enjoyed every moment of it. Looking back at it now, um, you know, a lot of people say, I wish I had done this. I wish I had done that. I only had one thing I wish I had done, which ain't had nothing to do with school, man. It was just this, <laughs> ironically, man, it was this one homecoming, man. It was this one, you know, how homecoming used to be. It ain't like it is now, homecoming no. kind of lame. It's lame now, man. I don't know what, what's going on with these young people. They're not, it's not like it used to be, but, you know, the old street vendors, man. I had this one time, bro, it was, uh, this dude was selling this African mask. And he did not want to take it back. And he offered to do it for like $150 and I was broke. I was like, dog, all I got is a hundo. He was like, yeah, man, I can't let it go for that. And that was the only regret I ever had the whole time I was there, though, man. Just not having that extra $50 and go get a mask. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, man, everything about that place, it, it molds you into the human being that you're going to become. Um, I think it's a little bit different now for the younger crowd because social media and all the high fashion and everything like that that people doing you know you see people on campus with benzes and beamers and all this other stuff and that's a prevalent thing um but when i was on campus everybody was broke you know no one had any money they had a they had a way of finding entertainment and fun just from being with the people that they were with and now i think that just the way how the world's changed people's value system is a little different so I don't think it has that same that same pureness that it used to. And honestly, because of fam is how I got, you know, into golf. I didn't I didn't play golf, man. My cousins were there. They worked there. And um, they used to play golf on the weekends at either Jake Gaither or they went over to the Florida State course. And, you know, I used to just roll in the cart with them and chill. One day one of the clubs broke that they gave me took it to this place down the street and was like hey man think y'all can fix this and they were trying to upsell me and get me some new clubs and all this other stuff and i was like nah i'm straight on good and you know i ended up getting into a long drive it was it was a it was a cool transition i want to ask what was your goal you know once you graduated from fan what was your goal to be 100 percent honest with you man you know i was tossing up between going to med school and then I had this guy <clears throat> come in when they did like a professional development seminar. 
started talking about chiropractic school and they made me a better offer than I would have gotten going to med school. So I went there, but my goal the whole time was really to go to med school and do that whole thing, you know, get my MCAT score up and, and go make something happen with that. And just was led a completely different way, went to chiropractic school. And that's really how the golf thing took off because when I went to chiropractic school, it was a school that was an NAIA school. So, you know, they actually sponsored me as if I was a team, even though I was an individual. So they paid for a bunch of my stuff the first year, um, first two years to go out there and try to compete and everything, which I would have never had that opportunity if I had gone to any other school. I just don't believe any other school would have put that money out there like that uh, for an individual. And so it definitely gave me an amazing opportunity, but it definitely was not even close to what I had quote unquote planned to do. Did you go right into long ball or did you did you stick out chiropractic school? How, how was that transition? No, nah, man, I got kicked out of school, honestly, man. Um, you know, I, I, I started in the summer quarter um, and went to class. I went to this one event and I don't know how I got into the conversation with this guy. I think I was, I was playing the intramural sport and the AD was talking to me about golf and I was like, yeah, I went to this long drive competition, blah, 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 blah. And he was like, oh, you, you play golf? And gave me that weird look. And I was like, nah, I don't play golf, man. I just hit the ball a long way. And he thought I was being funny. And I was like, nah, I'm dead serious though. And so he and I were having a conversation about it. And then he looked at some stuff. He's like, well, you know, we've got some money left over in the budget. You know, we're willing to send you all the way to Montana. We'll pay for everything for you to go. And I was like, all right, word. I ain't never heard no school doing nothing like that. So <laughs> cool. And, you know, I went to this last chance qualifier for world championships. And I remember I lost in the final round in both of the last chance qualifiers by like a few yards. I literally, and they were only taking like one person. And I got to the end, I was pissed off. And I remember I had finals that next week when I came back, cause I came back cause there was no use of me sitting out there watching it. And it was, you know, the internet was just, you know, at that point the internet wasn't like it is today where everything's just super live and you got it all. But they were putting updates, and I remember sitting in class just constantly hitting the refresh button, hitting the refresh button and watching the guy who won that year was the guy I lost to by three yards on the last day of one of the qualifiers. And I was just there like, if he can win, and he only beat me by three yards, I know I can win. And everybody was like, oh, that doesn't even make sense. I was like, hell no, that makes tons of sense to me. <laughs> and at that point, man, I had stopped going to class. And I had just gotten possessed, man, and obsessed with the whole thing. It was just like, man, this is what I'm going to do. And I remember the president of the university had called me to his office one day. I was like, hey, man, I hear you ain't going to class. I was like, yeah, but man, my grade's straight, though, homie. He was like, yeah, that's not how that works here because we got accreditation thing. So you got to make sure you go into class. So uh, I got to kick you out of school. I was like, what? Yeah, he was like, yeah, but I want you to come back to my office at 3 o'clock. And, you know, I'm sitting here like anybody else like man man i ain't coming back here at three o'clock how the hell i'm gonna tell my mama that i got kicked out of school <laughs> like this and, and then they got kicked out of school for all things not going to class not even being dumb just not going to class yeah but how to explain this you know and i ended up going back to my man office at three o'clock and he had his assistant literally pay from the rest of my season on his black card 
Like I'll never forget that, bro. Like he had hotel, entry fee, airfare, um, rental car. I mean, he paid for me to go literally all over the world. They sat there, we sat there for like four hours and went down the schedule and just booked everything straight out, right, sitting right there. Wow. And I was like, all right. And he was like, you know, I really believe in the opportunity that you have and I just want to do something to pay it forward. So I was like, all right, cool. And that's, that's you know, that was how my, my formal education came to an end. I got, I got expelled from school. <laughs> but you also got a blessing in the sky. I was going to say, yeah, I did. But I ain't going to lie, though. I was, I was one of those like, hey, man, I come back here at 3 o'clock. I'm going to burn this thing to the ground. <laughs> like, I don't, don't want to talk to you, man. What's wrong with you, man? But, it, you know, it, it was one of those things. It was it was a real cool, cool thing. I, I want to ask you, what was what was that learning curve like for me from never, you know, playing golf to, you know, competing in college? What was that learning curve like for you? Um, I mean, well, the difference was like it wasn't a collegiate thing, right? So it's it's it was on the professional side. So there's no one to teach you at the professional level. It's not a scenario where anybody wants to be helpful because that means you're taking money away from them. You dig what I'm saying? Like, why am I going to help help you to become better than me? And you're going to take money away from me. Like, you're going to take food off my table. It's not where, oh, well, you know, in a collegiate setting, you know, you're playing ball. All right, man, I'm a, I'm a you know, I'm a mentor this young cat. And because I know I'm going to the league next year. So he can shadow me. He can watch me. We're in this team setting. So, you know, he's going to be around me anyway. I can take him under my wing or whatever. And I know when we get to the league, you know, if I'm a receiver or if I'm a quarterback, you know, it's 32 teams. So at least there's 60-some quarterbacks in the league. Everyone got to have a backup, right? In this scenario, it's a professional thing. And nobody wants to help somebody who they think is going to be better than them. They just don't. Yeah. So I ran into a lot of stuff where people were sabotaging what I was trying to do, um, you know, mis- misgiving information, people not building my equipment properly and all that kind of stuff. And then to add to it, you know, I'm the only black dude out there and I'm not like kind of black either. I'm like real black. Mm. So they not they not even they not really want to be affiliated with that part either. And so. You know, there's a lot of bumps and bruises. You know, you get called a lot of foolishness, um, ironically, but nobody says it to your face. But it's just, you know, it was it was an interesting, interesting mode of things that I had to overcome throughout that whole time frame. But you know, honestly, man, it 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 was it was just a part of what I think had to happen. And taking it back to to the president's office, you know, what was it like for someone to you know put forth their support for you? like that you know what did that do for your career in terms of your mindset and everything um you know i've always looked at it man like great people see greatness in other great people right um you know i got a bunch of friends who are around athletes that are top-notch athletes and those people you know you can have a homeboy that you accept as your friend but you would never go to business with them you know what i'm saying yeah like you just know you know their strengths and their weaknesses and you're like man yeah as much as i love the dude we cool i just know he doesn't he doesn't return that same love or he doesn't have that same passion back so for me when i to have people 
really invest in me when they don't have to, uh, when they don't owe me anything. You know, for me, it was more of a way of looking at it and saying, okay, there was so much more that I felt that I was able to accomplish because clearly that person saw something greater in me than I may have seen in myself at that particular time. What was it like from that moment, you know, working toward the first European tour title? You know, one of the European tour was different, man. I remember I had this guy who was building my stuff and they used to they used to be like, man, why are you going over to Europe, man? There ain't nothing over there and blah, 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 blah. They always had a lot to say about me going over there because no one believed that there was anything over there. The money wasn't great or whatever. And I'm like, man, I'm gaining so much experience. And, you know, I had contracts set up so that when I went over there, I got bonuses. So it made it like I was like I was winning over here. The money was the exact same, even though people didn't know that. But I was structuring my own deals where it was going to be lucrative. And I was also building an international and a global brand. Right. And so a lot of people, you know, who are around weren't the most supportive people, which is where you have to be careful in life. You know, you have to be really extremely careful on the people who you have around you and the people who you allow to speak to you because everybody who speaks to you ain't for you you know what i mean and everybody who's who's around you isn't really in your camp and so when i got that first title man it was like okay you know you've accomplished something you arrived uh at that point i was working heavily with my uncle um and you know it was just he was happy to see that the venture that we went on together for it to come all the way full and then at that point i got to world championships and i think i finished top top 10 in the world that year it was it was definitely a, a a great thing but then to go back the second year and repeat you know everybody knows to win one thing once is you can have you know a little bit of luck or whatever but to come back and and do it back to back with all that pressure um, that definitely made things huge for me. So to go to Europe and, you know, kind of make a name for myself over there and start to develop a fan base in Europe and everything like that over that 24-month um, stretch that I had over there, man. It was it was definitely cool, man. And got to see a lot of places that I never imagined I would see, especially hitting a golf ball. You know, a little kid from Pine Hills, Florida, going to places like Slovenia and Estonia and all this other stuff. And like, man, what in the world? How did I end up here? But, you know, and then finding, you know, just how to navigate, man, and having these conversations with people. And, you know, I'm talking to people about places that I've been and they're looking at me like, what in the world? Like, they, it was stuff that they wasn't able to expect or, you know, learning different languages. And and it's just it was just crazy. What did you what did you learn about yourself during that phase um, leading up into that first European title? Oh, man, self-belief, man. You know that, you know, sometimes I learned that, you know, everybody always talks about they make it by themselves. But the truth is, you don't make it by yourself. You know, you may have a support system. They may not always be able to be right there with you, but you never really by yourself. And as long as you have that, you know, I used to want to. When I first got into the sport, man, I was always trying to have people like me and all this other stuff. And then I realized, man, I didn't need that validation. The thing that made it different was, you know, all I cared about was the respect. You're going to respect me as a human being and you're going to respect me as a competitor. Um, but in the same sentence, I didn't care if you liked me or not. 
I didn't care. I didn't need that validation. I knew who I was. And so I get the love and the likes when I got back home. But when we when it's time to go and compete, you're gonna find yourself up against a dog. And so when I when I learned how to stop trying to be liked, and you know, a lot of times when you're the only one, you feel like you have this 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 pressure that you gotta uphold, like, well, man, you know, I gotta be likable and I gotta be the man, I gotta be a damn thing other than who I am. And if you don't like it, the hell with you too. You know, and that that was the thing that I had to learn. And that that's what really made the difference, honestly. Which one came first? Was it the record or the um, 2008 championship? Oh man, um, I broke a bunch of records in 2012. In 2012, man, I broke the swing speed record and the ball speed. Well, I'm sorry, the swing speed record was 2010 and they didn't really want to acknowledge that. And then in 2011 or 2012, I think I broke the ball speed record, which went through a lot of stuff to get that even halfway acknowledged um and those were cool moments man you know back then i didn't have any wins so the thing was um i had some stuff that still put me on the map though you know what i mean the records were nice but there were no wins that went with them so i looked at the records as potential possibilities of winning later on and that part was that, that kind of helped me out a little bit. You know, when you don't have the W's under your name, then you got to have something for you to hold on to or something that lets you know when you go on places, hey, man, I belong. Because people are not going to tell you that you belong. They're going to tell you, you know, man, you don't deserve to be here and who you think you are and whatever. So, you know, having those definitely helped with partners and sponsors. I could be like, hey, man, you know, I'm world record holder and I got this, I got this Guinness and this, that, and the third. So that part, that part helped. Um, but then it also kind of sucked too, because I was like, man, how do I have these things and I can't win, you know? So that it, it led to a little bit of frustration during that point, but it was, it was, it was definitely something that kind of kept me going in between that drought. Cause I think the first time I broke a world record was 2011. I didn't get my first win until 14. So you know that's that's three years of just getting your head beat in, man. I had a lot of a lot of top fives though, man. I had a lot of top fives. But but just thinking about that, I want to know what it was like. You know, the process. We're talking about the process here, so I'm, I'm thinking about you first getting in. Like you said, you breaking swing records and ball speed records. Um, you didn't win until you said 2014, but you won a couple European um, championships. But what was it like? From that point until winning that 2018 World Championship, what did you what did you learn about yourself during that phase? Simple, man. You know, in 18, right before I won, we did this interview, and a guy was asking me, you know, what would it take for me to win the world title that year? And I was like, just be myself, because everybody else was taken. Mm. I think that that's the greatest thing I learned. You know, between. That first win in 14 all the way up to 18 was, you know, don't try to push it. Don't try to do something. Don't try to be anything outside of who you are. Just be you. Being you should be good enough. So that was that was the biggest lesson that I learned that entire time. Um, I didn't need to need to have some out of body experience or some luck or some fluke to win a tournament. Yeah. I mean, I could I could win the tournament just fine. I had won obviously at that point. A few times, so there was nothing that I really needed to to do. Winning is is more of a spiritual thing, you know what I'm saying? Like, 
Mm-hmm. It's an end result, but the process is spiritual. You know, yeah. people look at a win and like, oh man, they won. But there's so many times that a person wins throughout that process that they could have lost, but they allowed themselves to be connected to whatever it was that allowed them to win. And so that was the biggest thing that I learned, just not to not to try to overdo stuff, man. Just just learn to let it float. I quote it all the time that the journey is sometimes more important than the destination. You learn more about what you go through along that process. Um, but what was it like, you know, holding up that belt, you know, and winning it, though? I don't know, man. For me, it was a little bit different. Um, yeah. Because I ne- that was never my dream. Yeah. I never cared if I won a world title. Um, but the weirdest thing was like, I had these premonitions or dreams or visions or whatever the hell people want to call them. But I saw it five years earlier. I saw exactly what happened that night, five years before it happened. Um, the week of that tournament, I had, a, I remember I took a nap on that Friday and I knew I was going to win it. I mean, I literally had written it down. I had text my brother, I had text my mom, I had told my dad. I was like, I'm going to end up winning this thing in the next four days. Don't worry about it. Like, I remember calling my brother. I was like, man, if you if you ain't out here, you're going to miss something special. And I just knew it was going to happen. Like, I knew it from the standpoint of it was so crazy. I knew where I was going to be sitting. I knew that the dude who I was going up against, Justin Moose, was going to hit his last ball out of bounds. and It was going to be to the right-hand side. And my brother just looked at me. He was like, dude, how the hell? Did you know all that was gonna happen? I was like, dog, I saw it in my dreams. And my brother knows, like, when I see stuff in my dreams, it's, it's real. Like, it ain't no, some people be like, oh man, I had to, yeah, right. and they be playing. But I'm like, dog, when I see something in my dreams, it's, you can go ahead and, you can go ahead and write a check on it. <laughs> and so it was, it was absolutely, from that part, I would say that it was surreal, but it really wasn't because I knew it was gonna happen. I knew, known for days it was gonna happen. I just I just believe that I'm that connected with God. So when God shows me something, I don't, you know. It'll, but the I, I think the coolest part to me was just the fact that it was my mom's birthday. So that part to me made it. You know, I look at my two wins. I have two significant wins in my career, and you know, my first TV win was in 2017 uh, in Denver, and that was on my dad's birthday. And then the next year. I follow up and I went on my mom's birthday and I win my world title. So I'm like, you know, those two are probably the, the greatest moments that I've, I'll ever experience just because <laughs> of the significance of it happened on my parents' birthdays, you know, so each of them have those days and that part's kind of cool. I want to kind of switch gears. What was it like uh, for the Niagara, Niagara Falls uh, shot? Oh, man, probably the most depressing thing ever in my life, hands down. Um, Just because of the fact that, you know, I look at what happened with that and the lack of publicity and the lack of press that it received. And I know my white counterparts would have gotten so much, so much more um, from that. And, you know, John Daly tried it, attempted it, and they had Guinness out there and everything like that. And they totally act like, you know, it was the best thing since sliced bread and he didn't even achieve it. And then here I go and I actually accomplish it. No one's ever accomplished it. Forget being the first black person, right? Yeah, Take first. it to a whole nother level. The first person ever in history to do it and probably based on the laws that they've passed since then, the only person who will ever even 
ever be the person who's ever done it period ever on the existence of humankind and guinness wouldn't certify it as a world record but they were willing to do it for john daly um you know there's a struggle right now about trying to get the plaque put on both sides you know on the canadian side where i hit the ball from and then on the u.s side where the ball landed um and then the golf media never did anything with it um the press the you know the 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 regular press never did anything with it but then on top of that the black press never did anything with it well so i mean it was like all right you know it's like anything else in life you accomplish these amazing feats but they're really only amazing when the recognition of the significance of them is there right yeah. Um, it's kind of like the whole thing of does when a tree falls in the forest and if no one's around, does it still make a noise? You don't know. You know what I mean? And throughout this whole campaign of black excellence and things like that, we choose what we want to define as excellence. And it just sucked that throughout that whole ordeal, um, it just never was given the, the just respect it was due. So that kind of that one that one really sucks yeah yeah <laughs> to be honest with you hey that's real though but i, I want to tell you that you know it meant a lot to me just you know understanding that you, you're the first person to do that not only that you won in 2018 not only that but you're a rattler you're a father you're, you're a black man you know and so to be you know what i'm saying just seeing that and seeing you on tv hold up the belt and knowing that you came from florida i, I lived in maitland which is not orlando but close to orlando just knowing close enough you, you know knowing where you came from you know what i'm saying it motivated me you know what i'm saying and so i just want to you know give you your flowers as they say right now um even if they don't want to do it because that's a shame you know um, yeah but i mean i look at it all man like i even look at fam you know uh people i think i have 50 applications or 50 uh, submissions to be in the Hall of Fame and fan was like, nah. <laughs> and then they turned around. I think one of the issues was they was like, oh, well, we don't do first time ballot people. And they was like, well, how many world champions in this do y'all actually have? Like, you know what I'm saying? And then they turned around and was like, oh, well, he wasn't on the golf team when he was at fam and he didn't. I was like, what difference does any of that make? You don't celebrate it the way how it should. And so if you don't take something like that and be serious about that, then that lets me know when something real happens that you're not even going to have the ability to stick to your guns and stick to the protocol of what needs to take place with those things either. And so it's just it's just crazy, man. I'll be 100% honest with you, though, man. I didn't I didn't even want to get into the Hall of Fame uh, for me. Honestly, you know, uh, my Hall of Fame was going to be a dedication to my uncle, man, who should have been in the Hall of Fame or should be in the Hall of Fame. It wasn't it was never about me and being enshrined in that ring of honor with the Rattlers and all that. It was, you know, my uncle who had all those records and probably unfortunately will never be in the Hall of Fame. And that to me was a moment where while he was alive to be able to honor him more so than anything else you know it, it ain't in for me that was really what it was all about so hopefully hopefully they'll put me in there before my man check out dig. but for me that's what it's really all about i mean i don't it may mean more to me later if i got in there but to me it means more that he's in there before i am 
or at least that he's acknowledged properly like he should be. Wow. Looking back over your life so far, um, what advice would you give your younger self? Keep doing it. Man, you know, a lot of people look back and be like, man, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. You know, I missed these opportunities. I ain't, I, I, I ain't never been that guy, man. I've never missed an opportunity, man. I've always run head first into the wall and always believed I'd break it down. Yeah. Um, you know, I've never been a, afraid of nothing. And I look at my younger self and just be like, just keep, keep doing it. You know, keep being that galvanizing person that you've always been. Um, always stick to your guns. Always stick to what you believe you're supposed to do and follow that gut. I mean, I don't have, man, I, I can honestly look back at every piece of my life and be like, man, I don't have no regrets. None. Not the first one. And that part to me is kind of cool. Um, a lot of people have regrets or they have advice to give to their, their younger self. And maybe it makes me sound crazy. And I don't believe, I believe that for me, I've always tried to strive for perfection. And you know, people say that perfection is impossible, but I don't believe it. I believe you can have perfect moments. And if I can just have perfect moments, then that means I've, even for a small amount of time, I've obtained perfection. And I always will chase that. I always keep trying to chase those, those small moments of perfection. So, you know, I've had amazing opportunities and I've done some amazing things. And it was all because I was fearless. I never played it safe. I never, you know, I, I didn't do anything that was going to bother anybody or put nobody in no bad position. But, I mean, I just went after it wholeheartedly, even if everybody else thought it was crazy as hell. It just didn't matter. So, nothing, man. I, I, I wouldn't tell my younger self nothing, but just do what you do. This podcast is called The Process Podcast. What does trust in the process mean to you? I mean, trusting the process to me, man, is is one of them things where, you know, everybody's on this thing now where they're talking about good vibes only um, and all this other foolishness, right? Like, I don't subscribe to none of that. And the reason why is everybody's so afraid of adversity. You know, I don't think there's anything bad in life that happens. There's lessons, but it's not bad. Like, even if... Even if, like, you lose somebody, somebody passed away, man, you know, that's a that's a lesson. That's a lesson for you to learn that while people are here, you enjoy them. You don't take them for granted. You don't overlook the importance of the people that you have around you, right? And same thing happens with any and everything. People are so stuck on this whole good vibes only and positive energy only and Man, life ain't positive. Life is life is really a piece of shit if you if, if you if you let that happen. Um, it's just how you adapt to it, my dude. Like that's the most important part of it. If if you look at anything in life, you can make it a positive or a negative, and it doesn't matter what it is. If you lose a person, okay, the negative, yeah, they're gone and they ain't never coming back. True that. I feel you on that. Positive. You had the opportunity to learn from that person. You had the opportunity to interact with that person. You had the opportunity for that person to shape and mold your life. Now, if you didn't really take that to the max like you could have, 
well now you know what to do with the people that you got left yeah you dig what i'm saying so it's like all of it's a learning curve brother like that process is so 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 amazing but people are so stuck on this whole no negativity thing and it's like there ain't nothing negative out there it's just how you choose to take it what some because something don't go your way that don't make it negative like that you know you play sports bro like you learn a whole lot more when you lose you know matter of yeah. fact you know you learn a whole lot when you get your ass kicked not when you lose when you lose you lose by a few points man that's gonna be like yeah man yeah all right but when you when somebody walked the dog on you bro you like man how in the world man i thought i was really whatever whatever and nah, man i man i can't believe these boy came in here and did this to me man what the hell but it changes it changes your viewpoint right and then you get to see what you really made of and a lot of folks are really afraid of trusting the process and finding out who they really are what they really made of like they all want to live in this la la land where everything's you know gravy and, and you know it, it's all this good stuff man that ain't real like i got i get to see what you really all about when things don't go your way yeah my coach used to tell me everybody has a plan till they get punched in the mouth that's the truth but the real thing is a lot of people ain't got no plan they just got these dreams right yeah and so think about it the dream is something that you don't really work for like what happens you go to sleep and in the process of your sleep you have this dream right and all you're doing is sleeping you're chilling you're just resting right versus when you have a goal a goal is something you got to work towards you know be like, oh man don't crush my dreams homeboy all right man well that's cool but are you really working towards that or is it something you just think is gonna happen through osmosis <laughs> like and and that's where the thing comes in is you know people are so afraid of just having to put that work in and sometimes when people challenge your dreams they're not challenging you or the fact that you have the dream they're just challenging the fact of okay well is this really what you want to do because what you're going to do when adversity hits yeah. you know when you start this podcast people probably told you hey man that thing gonna be hard it's gonna be all right well i ain't saying it's gonna be a cakewalk but this is what i want to do now either hey you're gonna help me with some of the adversity that's gonna come across along the way or shut up yeah <laughs> i don't really need all that other stuff though i mean yeah i dig it it's gonna be a little tough i'm gonna learn on the fly or whatever but okay i'm gonna be better in episode 70 than i was in episode two that's right that's and that's a part of the process you dig so it's like that's the biggest thing is just you know but if you don't have conviction man and i think a lot of people don't have conviction and conviction only comes when you feel like you're being led by god to do things like i only do things that i'm led by god to do like and it's crazy even to a point where i don't post stuff unless i'm led to post it hmm. that's the craziest part of the whole thing like a lot of people have these schedules where they post because they got to post or they want attention or they want likes. They want somebody to drop in the DMs. Nah, man, I'm good, bro. If I don't feel compelled to post, if I ain't led to post, y'all ain't going to get nothing from me. My agent get on me all the time about that. He's like, man, we need you to post. Yeah, yeah that's cool. <laughs> I'll post because it got to have some meaning to it. You did Like if somebody questioned me about the post, I got to be able to say something. And then I'll, I'll put some post up there that I totally messed mess people head up. Like I remember last year on Memorial Day, I put this post up. You can go check this one. This one, this this the trippiest post ever, bro. <laughs> I put this post up about Memorial Day last year. And I was like, you know, Memorial Day is a day that they're supposed to remember the people who have fallen and 
put the faith ultimate sacrifice in this country through wars and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, there's a few soldiers that people aren't going to recognize that fought a battle that was on U.S. soil. And blah, blah. I wrote this whole elaborate thing out. And I put, you know, like a picture with Trayvon Martin and Sandra Bland and all these people, man. Philando had everybody who got killed. And being in the golf space, oh, that's unpatriotic, blah, 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 blah. And this girl I used to talk to hit me up and was like, you're a public figure. You need to take that down because she's in media. She's like, you need to take that down. You need to do this. You need to blah, blah, blah. That's so bad for your image. And I was like, man, I really don't give a shit about what y'all think. I'm keeping it up here. Like I was, for some reason, I woke up this morning and the words that came out on that page weren't that of my own. I was being led to write that. Yeah. I posted that joker at like 9 a.m. It had probably 200 comments that I just didn't read. And they was negative as hell, apparently, from what people was telling me, man. Nine o'clock at night, that post had a whole nother meaning because George Floyd was killed at like five o'clock that afternoon. Wow. And it was the craziest thing because for me... I've never seen the tape of George Floyd. I've I've watched a lot of that, a lot of them footages. Um, I even watched the one with you know the young girl two days ago, Miss Bryant, bro. But yeah. the one with Floyd, I couldn't watch it because I felt way too connected to it. I mean that they're, they're all terrible to watch, but I was like, for some reason, I couldn't take that post down, and I never knew why. I mean, I had people, like, I had this other, the agent I was working with at that time, like, man, you got to take this post down, man. This is not, this is not where it's at. Like, you can't post this. And I was like, I can't. And for some reason, you know, we were talking about, you know, what would you tell your younger self? I stuck to my guns. Yeah. Now, obviously, if I had known what happened to George Floyd was going to happen, I would have, you know, stepped in and said something, did something. I don't know. I would have done something. I would have sat on the sidelines, but I'm just like, that's crazy to post something at nine o'clock in the morning to get nothing but hate for hours on it. And then at nine o'clock at night for it to have a completely different meaning. <laughs> that's the difference in the process, brother. Like when you know that you're on a path that's designed by something greater than yourself, like you're not doing stuff with selfish intentions, right? Um, that's where things change, man. Like, I talked to my boys the other day and I asked them, I was like, you know, what's your American dream? And all of their American dreams were about the same. You know, they want to make this bread, do well for their family, whatever. You know, and then, then I think it was a, a sign of the times with everything going on. They was like, you know, I don't want to get shot by the police and I want to make it home and I don't want to end up in jail and all this other stuff. The irony to me about that whole thing about their American dream was their American dream didn't involve nobody else but themselves. Yeah. So that shows you the flaw in America as itself. Everybody only out for themselves. They ain't thinking about nobody else. They dream don't include nobody else's dream but their own. So how can you prosper if you out here by yourself? Like we talked about earlier, everything you do, you ain't never by yourself. You know what I'm saying? Now, your team may not be there with you when you get the dub, but you got people boosting you and loving on you and nurturing you and getting you right the whole time, you know, behind the scenes, you know, when you're not out there on the field or whatever. And so how can you, how can you want to win, but you don't want to bring everybody with you? You dig? So it's, it's, it's on a whole nother level, man. Like when I be talking to people and I mean, 
that whole thing about being shot by the police, man, honestly, I don't even care. Like, I think that's probably the scariest thing about me is I just don't care. Because my thing is, there ain't nothing I can do to stop you. There's nothing I can do to provoke you, and there ain't nothing I can do to stop you. Because we've seen way too many cases where it don't matter what they say. Oh, all right, well, my dude, you know, right there in Virginia who was in the Army, man, my man wouldn't even unbuckle his seatbelt, my dude. Like, he ain't feel comfortable. Like, he was like, I ain't moving my hands. Yeah. And they still could have shot him. You know what I'm saying? This young lady who they just shot two days ago, her back was turned to the dude. She wasn't even, you know, the lies were she, she was coming at him with the knife. You see the tape. She, she 25, 30 feet away from the dude. He just opening up, dumping. Yeah, quick too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, ain't even, and, and yeah, okay, he gonna yell, put the knife down, but you yelling, put the knife down or whatever, but she ain't doing nothing to you. And it's a little girl, my dude, you telling me, you know what I'm saying? So, like, living life in fear, bro, like, I ain't never had that fear. You know, I, I, I'm actually involved in the case with the deputy sheriff's office right here in Orange County right now. You know what I mean? And it don't bother me at all. Like, I, I just don't care. My mama and them get scared. And, you know, my dad and them. But I'm like, you know, if I'm out of here, I'm out of here on my terms. Like, I ain't going to be out here on my knees begging, like, don't shoot me and don't kill me. No, I mean, I'm like, dude, whatever you do, you're going to have to deal with it, bro. And that's just a whole nother mode of life, man. Like, you, you have to be that. You have to be that aggressive with all of it. You got to be that aggressive with how you're trying to live your life. You have to be that aggressive with your freedom. You have to be that aggressive with trying to look out for others. Yeah. And a lot of people ain't willing to do that because they think as well, you know what I'm saying? I got my peace. I'm good. So whatever happened to them over there, that's on them. Well, what happens when whatever happened to them start affecting the people that you love? You know what I mean? Like your kids, your nieces, your nephews, your partner's kids and something like that. It, it just continues to trickle down, bro. And it ain't that ain't never good. Yeah. You're right. Hey, rest in peace to my homie, uh, Jonathan Farrell. Uh, Another knew, good example. I knew him personally, so I know. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's a perfect example, bro. Like, perfect example. Yeah. I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? And, and so when you're looking at this stuff, man, and here's the problem that I have with this, though. How many people we done lost and we get in an uproar for a few minutes and it's almost as like now the, the names of the list of the names have gotten so long not only do we not remember but we've become so just desensitized to it you know everybody out here talking about justice for Floyd because my man got hit on them three charges but my thing's like alright but how is that justice that man's daughter ain't got no daddy yeah. His girl ain't got no no dude no more. His 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 sisters and brothers ain't got no family. Like he gone. They, justice doesn't exist, man. Yeah. Justice is impossible when you have senseless acts. How can you take back an action? It's not like it's not like when you go to Home Depot or you go to some store and you buy something and it don't fit and you take it back and you return. Okay, that's justice. You bought something that wasn't what you wanted wasn't what you needed it was wrong in some way you had the receipt they gave you your money back you gave them their product back everybody square everybody cool yeah but the life you can't there's no justice and that ain't no return it ain't like oh okay now that Chauvin's been you know convicted of murder on all three charges it ain't like George come back to life 
he ain't Lazarus, bro. It's, there's nothing you can do to bring this man back. Justice does. The family's still gonna hurt. This little girl gonna have to have somebody else give her away on her wedding day. Somebody gonna have to show up to her graduations and all this other stuff. Daddy daughter dances and stuff. So where the, where is justice? How does that exist? And I mean, and you can go down that with every single solitary case. But I wanna I wanna thank you for joining me on the podcast. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. I just want to thank you for being so open and transparent about your journey. Um, I want to know, do you have any last words that you want to leave with the listeners? Yeah, my favorite quote, man. Stay far from timid. Make moves only when your heart's in it. Live the phrase, sky's the limit. Where can the listeners uh, find you uh, on social media if they want to give you feedback about this episode or just to follow everything that you have going on? Uh, man, everything's just Maurice Allen 360, man. That's it, man. Maurice Allen 360. You can find me on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook. This episode was brought to you by Overcome Achieve Clothing. Allow what you have overcome to fuel the flame of persistence as you face and conquer your next challenge. Wear your truth. Overcome. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered. Like that was my thing. You know, oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people. Being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through and not to only broadcast these things, but for it to inspire change.